here. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here. We just want to, I want to add my welcome to Aaron's and say thanks for gathering together. We don't take it for granted. What a privilege that we get to be together as the church. We get to be together to worship as God's people. And, and I just, every time, every Sunday I come in, I'm just reminded of what a joy it is from when people are greeting and to coming in, hearing the voices of God's people. What a joy and what a privilege it is to be able to gather together with God's people. And I'm looking forward to an extended time in a couple weeks to be able to do that as well. That is going to be a great time. Um, well, as Aaron mentioned, last week was question 29. I'm not going to reread that, but anybody here want to take a stab at, at, at reciting question 29? Oh, all three Pruitts. Okay. All right, go ahead. Awesome. That is absolutely perfect. And I, I think Griffin said the longest part of that. So thank you. Um, I don't know. We could give them all three. I don't, I don't know. Give them three gift cards. You can't split one. But that was great. Thank you, guys. This coming week, we are going to be remembering the question, reciting the question of what is faith in Jesus Christ? And let's read that together. Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. That is good news. That is what we embrace. And we're actually going to be talking about reminding ourselves, putting on the breastplate of faith. Because that's what guards us, that's what keeps us, that's what motivates us as believers. We'll turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 together. We've been going through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Last week we saw that, that Christ is returning. That he's coming back. And that one day he'll come back with a trumpet sound, with a loud call. And, and then when he comes back, he'll, he'll take us all to be with him, and he'll make us all brand new, and that's good hope. And then this week, we, Paul's going to be answering the question of, but when? But when? And what does that mean for us? So let's read Paul's answer to that question in verses 1 through 11 together. This is God's holy word. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would live each and every day in response to this word, that this, this word would stick with us the rest of our lives. Lord, would, this, would your words stick with us, the fact that you are coming back and that we don't need to be afraid, but yet we're to live awake. Lord, I pray that that would stick with us and that, Lord, you would keep us and preserve us to the end. Lord, that you would encourage us knowing that, that we won't endure wrath, but, Lord, we will be saved. Lord, would you speak to each and every one of our hearts and minds? Lord, would you give the gift of conviction? Would you give the gift of encouragement? Pray that you would empower all of this by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it still seems very fresh in my mind, but about 11 years ago, my mother-in-law was planning to come for a visit. And we, she at the time was only coming about once a year, and we had been planning for it and preparing for it, looking forward to her time. And we knew that she was coming down from Virginia. It was a difficult trip for her. She's a little older, and she was coming down on a train, so it was going to be a longer trip. And so we knew what time she was coming. Um, she was going to arrive, I, I believe, at 4, 4 or 4.30 in the morning, something like that. It was extremely early um, to arrive. And in Spartanburg, a little further than we normally would would drive to go and pick somebody up, not, not the local airport, but the train station in the middle of downtown Spartanburg, and not a great neighborhood in Spartanburg, by the way. And so uh, we were prepared, we were ready. We had had people over that night. We had met with people for, for dinner, and then we'd stayed up way too late till about midnight. And so I thought, you know what? I've got plenty of time. I don't, I don't need to worry about that. I'm going to take a nap. And I set my alarm. And I was, I was certain that I was going to get up at 3.30, and I was going to drive up there, and it was all going to be good. And then I got a call at 5 from a police officer. And I panicked. And he says, is this Mr. Rawlings? I'm like, yes. And he says, this is officer, whatever his name was. And instantly, like, Everything I'd done wrong came to mind, and then I thought, oh no, what's wrong? And then I thought, oh my gosh, my mother-in-law's dead. I, I, all these thoughts went, she's not, by the way, and all of these thoughts just went through my head. I had a panicked moment, and he was very kind. He picked her up. He, he was waiting at the station with her. It had already been a half an hour after the train and all the passengers had left. And that I mentioned it was in a bad neighborhood in Spartanburg. And so he'd stay with her, and he dropped her off at the Krispy Kreme. And, and on the very quick drive over to the Krispy Kreme in downtown Spartanburg, it was, it was quicker than I've ever made it there before. Not just because there was no traffic, but my mother-in-law was there in a Krispy Kreme in downtown Spartanburg at 5 in the morning. I didn't even know they opened then. I don't think they do anymore, but um, I... I was panicked, I was shocked, and I was embarrassed. I, I, I drove way too fast, and, and the next year, I, I purposed that I'm, I'm never going to do that again. And I think she purposed, she's never coming on a train again, because <laughs> she hasn't since then. She has somebody drive her, or she's flown, but she's never come on the train again. She's um, probably wisely so. But there's that feeling when you have missed something, that feeling of panic, that, that feeling of shame, embarrassment. Oh no, what in the world? And would she be mad at me? And now I'm never going to live this down. And thankfully she was gracious about it. But it had consequences. She, just, she still doesn't come on the train. 
Paul, he's writing because he, he wants the church not to have that experience. He wants them not to, to have that panic moment, not to feel like they're not ready, not to be embarrassed, not to be ashamed, not to be worried about what will happen. He, he's not writing here to correct the church. Although if there's some corrective in here, I think that's okay as a takeaway, but that's not Paul's primary purpose. He's writing to encourage the church. He's writing to reassure them and to comfort them. And, and he tells them something. He tells them, really, the first five verses, he's telling them that Jesus is coming back. The day of the Lord is coming. But you don't have to be worried about when. The day of the Lord is coming. But you don't have to be worried about when. And he contrasts two groups of people. There is a group, by the way, that needs to be worried. He's writing to the church, and he's telling the church, Jesus is coming back, but you don't need to be worried about when. But there is a group that needs to be worried about when, and he says, but you're not it. That's really good news. That's really good news for us. He says, brothers, you don't need to have anything written to you. Now, he only said that one other time in the entire letter of the uh, church to the Thessalonians. And he said that because he says, you don't need to be taught how to love one another because God has already taught you because he has shown you his love. And now he says, you don't need to be taught about this because you already know that we have no idea when Jesus is coming back. But instead of creating panic or, oh no, like if I didn't know when my mother-in-law was coming back, now I'd go wait in that train station for the whole day. I mean, I'd I'd be waiting. Like, she's coming back sometime. And I guess that used to be the way it was back when they had horses and, and they had telegraphs and like, hey, we're coming next week sometime. You'd be constantly ready. I'm glad things aren't quite like that now, but, but there's this, this constant readiness that it spurs on. And so Paul here, he's saying, you know, you don't know when he's coming back, and you know that. You've been well taught. He says, you know that accurately. In, in, in the book of Acts, when the disciples were responding to Jesus, and he was telling about when his, he was going to come and establish his kingdom. And they asked him, he said, when is that going to happen? And so they came together, and, and Acts 1-6 says, and they asked him, Lord, will you at this time? Are you going to do that now? Or like, when will that happen? And his answer was really direct. He said, it's not for you. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed... By his own authority. You're not in charge. God is. It's not meant to make us panic. It's meant to make us trust in him. You know, Jesus had said that he says, for, for no one in Matthew, he says, no one knows the, the hour or the day. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. And, and the Thessalonians have been well taught by the apostle Paul. They were a brand new church, but they already knew their Bibles. Now, it's a little surprising that Apostle Paul could tell them that. He says, well, you already know that we have no idea when. It's going to be unexpected, but it doesn't need to surprise you. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to surprise some, but it doesn't need to surprise you. It's going to surprise some. It's for some, it's going to come like a thief in the night. So it's unexpected, but it doesn't need to be a surprise for you. It doesn't need to be like a thief from you. It doesn't need to harm you. It doesn't need to be like a burglar. It doesn't need to steal your joy. But, but you know what? It doesn't stop people from trying to figure that out. Back when I, in, in 1988, I, I can't remember what year of high school I was in, but I was in high school, and I remember um, I was working with my dad that summer, and this book came out, and it was called 88 Reasons Why the, the Rapture Will Be in 88. Well, just as a clue, it didn't happen. And then again in 2011, there was just another guy who wrote another book, and and. And they, they spent lots of money putting up billboards everywhere that in 2011, the Lord is returning. Well, that didn't happen. 
And, and somehow between those two books, I think it was like eight or ten million copies, four million copies for the first one and, and many million copies for the second one, 2011. You think that people would read their Bibles, they would know. Paul says, you, you already know, you're accurately taught. That's actually how it's literally phrased. He says, for you know well, full well. What he's saying is, you already accurately know. You know what, your understanding is accurate. I want to reassure you, we, we have no idea when he's coming back. But that's meant, not meant to cause panic. You don't need to worry. You know, we, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But here's the good news. He is coming back. He is coming back. We don't know when. But you don't have to be worried. Because for those, and did you notice the us and them contrast that he has in the first five verses? He says, you have no need. You are fully aware. When other people are saying there's peace and security, destruction comes upon them. They won't escape. But you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. What is he saying here? He's saying, we don't know when the Lord's returning, but you don't need to worry about it because if, if you would place your faith in Jesus, you're not of darkness. You don't belong to darkness. You see, the light comes and it parts the darkness. It does away with the darkness. And Jesus came when he said, I am the light. I am the way, the truth, the life. And, and when he came in, the, in, in John, it describes him as he is the light of the world. He's the one who enlightens men's eyes. And because we've been enlightened, we've been made new, we've been made like Christ, we now belong to the day, to the light. We don't need to worry about the light coming and doing away with the darkness because we're not of the darkness. We, yes, it's unexpected, but it's not going to rob us. We're, it's not going to surprise us like a thief coming in the night. It's unexpected, but it's not going to do us harm. And that's what he's trying to get them to see. You don't have to be worried about when. Jesus is coming back. But you, you're not like the others who are in darkness. You don't need to be worried about when because you're not of the darkness. You're not of the darkness. Now, it's amazing that he tells the Thessalonians that he says, you already accurately understand this. The church is probably only a few months old when he's writing this letter from Corinth. And he's concerned for them, but they're already understanding the fact that Jesus is coming back and we don't know when. And, and that's, it's in their minds, it's in their thoughts. And, and they are concerned about, because they want to be ready. Now I wonder, do we live with that same kind of awareness? You know, are, are we as aware of our Bibles as they were of theirs in that day? They were new believers and yet they already had an accurate understanding of the Lord's return. And I wonder how many people have an accurate understanding of the Lord's return today. But he was confident. He says, I'm fully, I'm, I, I'm, you're fully aware of this truth. And it, it was affecting them. Now, for us, I think sometimes we can get lulled into believing that Jesus really isn't coming back anytime soon. It doesn't really affect us. There is something good about the, the question that was probably behind this. So the reason why Paul is writing to address a concern that they probably had is because they were they were keenly aware of the importance of the return of the Lord as part of the gospel message. It wasn't just that Jesus died for our sins, he was resurrected, but the fact that he's returning one day to judge those who are not in him and to reward those who believe in him, to consummate all things, that, that affected how they lived, how they thought. And they wanted to be ready. 
I wonder if we live that way. If we think about the fact that Jesus is coming back, and I think we're meant to be, to be motivated that way. We're meant to have this affect us. We're meant to, to be wondering how does the return of Christ, how is that to affect how I live today? How can I be ready for that? And Paul wanted to prepare them. He wanted to encourage them. He writes to them, he says, you know, when some people say there's peace and security, some people say there's peace and security, that's when sudden destruction will come upon them. But you know the world around us says there's peace and security apart from Christ? You ever hear that? There can be peace, there can be security apart from Christ. Everything is fine. We don't need Jesus. We can have peace on our own. We can have security on our own. And Paul says, for people who believe that way, who think that way, he says, sudden destruction will come upon them like a thief in the night. But he's contrasting it and saying, you don't need to be like that. And then he also gives another illustration, not just as a thief in the night, but it's, it's like a woman who's in labor, and the, the labor pains, they come on quickly, suddenly, unexpectedly. It, it's, it's unavoidable. If you're pregnant, um, and this is a clue for all the women who are pregnant here right now, if you are pregnant, there is labor coming, and there's most likely pain coming, and it's like that, it's, it's unavoidable is what Paul is saying. Uh, destruction, though, is coming for them who place their faith in security and peace that the world offers. And as you read this, you think, okay, wh- where am I placing my faith? Am I putting confidence in, in peace and the things the world finds peace and security in? Because for believers, we can, we can often be deluded into looking for peace, looking for security, and the things that the world looks for peace and security in. Paul says, if, if those who do that, it's like they're asleep to reality. They're, they're blinded. They're in darkness. They're, it's like they're in the middle of the night. And this mindset that, that true peace or security can be found in the world outside of Christ, it will inevitably, what he's saying, give rise to destruction, and it's, there's no way they're going to escape that. And, and if you're here this morning and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you're not hoping in him, here's the thing, your destruction is inescapable. But it doesn't have to be that way. It says, Paul says, for those of us who are in the light, it shouldn't surprise us. It's gonna be unexpected, but it's not gonna be an unwelcome surprise. It's gonna be the unexpected surprise the, the joy of experiencing Christ, the joy of being reunited with him and with others, the joy of being made new, the joy of all of our struggles with sins being done away with, that, that is what we can expect. Because he says, you're all children of light. You know, it says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And then now he's made us his children, so now we belong to him. We are part and parcel of him. We belong to Christ. We are now of the light. And when, in the Bible, when it talks about being children of something, you are so much like that thing that you can be called a child of that thing. And so we are so much like God who is light, like Christ who is the light of the world, that we can be called children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the darkness. He's trying to encourage them. Don't be fearful. If you're a Christian, you're not of the darkness. You're of light. And you're a child of light. You have no need to fear the light. And, and then he, he gives some practical instruction about 
how they can be ready because they must be wondering, when's he coming back? And that's a natural desire to, to want to know when is Jesus coming back? And we want to understand that and know that, but there's some good reason why he doesn't do that. You know, if I know, like I knew my mother-in-law was coming, I knew when, but I, I kind of put it off and put it off and put it off and put it off until, like, oh my goodness, it's too late. I think, I think we would live that way, just by human nature. We would live that way. If, 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 if God says in the year 2320, I just made that date up, by the way, do not go home and tell people that I think Jesus is going back in 2320. I, I don't. I have no idea. But if you knew the date, and that's a long ways away, Right? Um, that's a long ways away. And if you knew the date was that far out, you might think, man, I don't need to worry about my life right now. I can do whatever I want, and before I die, that's when I'll make, I'll make things right with Jesus, and I'll, I'll take my time, I'll take it easy, I'll relax. I won't live ready. And, and, and God doesn't want us to, to live like that. He knows our inclinations. And so he says, you don't know the time, but, but you can be ready, and how you can be ready is because you can, you can stay awake, stay alert. And so he says, Jesus is coming back, and so be ready for his return. And then he tells us how to be ready for his return. He says, Jesus is coming back, so live ready. Live ready for his return. You know, just down the street from me, they built a, a new fire station, and I was really glad to see that because I know that the response time will not be very long. And, and it probably won't be very long because I, I know that firemen are trained to always be ready. They live at the station in shifts. They eat there. They sleep there. They do recreation there. They, they are always there. Why? Because it's, it's part of their identity. They're firemen, right? Would you want a fireman who was like, oh, I'll be good, I'll get there when I hear the bell, I'll, I'll leave my house, I'll figure out where those pants are, the jacket is when I get there, it's in the locker somewhere I think, and I'll figure out the truck's got gas, maybe I'll fill up with water, the truck with water, I'll, I'll pump it out, and then, and then we'll be at your house. Well, by then your house will be burned down, right? You know, because they're firemen, they, they, they need to always be ready. It, it's part of who they are. It's meant to inform and affect how they live. The same is true for us. He says, you are children of the light. You're of the daytime. Because you're children of the light in the daytime, live like you're in the daytime. You know, generally for people, it's best that we do our work and we are awake during the day. You know, unless you have a job that works the night shift, and even then it's probably not best for our psyche, but, but if you are general population... It's, it's normative for when the sun is up, that's when we get things done. That's when we work. That's when we live. That's when we do what's important. And we sleep at night. And so he says, because you're children of light, because this is your identity, then I want you to act like that. Act like it's the daytime. Be awake. Be alert. Be prepared. Live ready. Don't be asleep. Don't be asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now, he's not talking about physical sleep here. I actually, I, I completely agree with, with D.A. Carson. He, he says, you know, sometimes the godliest thing you do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. You know, hear that, whoever, which one of you is tempted to say, you know, I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, you're an idiot. Um, 
He says, I'm certainly not denying there may be a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. We, we, it's good for us to rest. It's good for us to sleep bodily. He's not denigrating physical sleep at all. Jesus slept in the middle of a storm. He slept in a boat when all, all around him was going wrong. He, he took a nap. He knew what was most important right then. But what he's talking about is, he's talking about the metaphor, so, so let us not sleep. You, you don't belong to the night. You're not a, a nighttime worker, is what he's saying. You're a daytime worker. You belong to the day. You're a child of the light. You're not a child of the night. So live that way. What, what, what do you do during the day is, is you get things done. You, you live like it's the daytime. You don't go back to bed. He says, he says, live like you're awake. Keep awake and be sober. Be awake and alert. Don't be oblivious to the fact that Christ is, is coming back. Live awake to the reality that Jesus is returning and let that affect how you interact with your kids with your spouse, with your neighbors, with people at work, with people in school? Are you awake? The fact that Jesus is coming back, our time here is short. Now, we might, we might live to 80, 90, 100 years old and die before he comes back, or he might come back while I'm preaching this message. We have no idea, but in, in perspective, our time is very short. It's but a vapor. And so he says, live in light of the fact that one day, the day of the Lord will come, that Jesus is coming back. So live awake and alert to that fact. And don't be drunk. Don't, don't give in to the sensuality of the world. Don't be drunk on the pleasures of the world. He's not talking about just physical drunkenness. He's talking about spiritual state. Don't fill yourself up. Don't, don't be drunk on the pleasures of the world. But stay awake. Stay alert. Be sober. Don't be clueless. Don't act like the others. He mentions at the beginning that, that peace and security can be found in the things of the world. That's being drunk. It's not a sober way to live. How are you living? Are you living sober? Are you living awake to the fact that Jesus is coming back and peace and security are found in him and in him alone? Or are you asleep to that reality and are you living as if the, the peace and security the world seeks after are, are where we will find peace and security? He says, don't be like that. Be alert, be awake, be sober. The world is asleep to the return of Christ and they're gonna be shocked and it's going to come like a thief in the night, and it's, it's going to take everything from them. The world's asleep because they're in the night, blanketed by darkness. And so, of course, they're going to be asleep to Christ's return. And they're going to be embarrassed. Of course, they're drunk with the things in the world. Of course, they sink to drink in the pleasures of this world. And they're in a stupor, oblivious, drunk on security and peace that the world offers because they're living in the night. But he says, since that's not who you are, that's not your identity. You know, I've got a, another friend, he's, he's a member of a SWAT team and, and they go regularly to train. And, and it's not for any, you know, they're not training for a specific event, but they're training because they need to constantly be ready. 
They know something bad's going to happen because that's their job. They just don't know when, so they're training for that. Firemen, they, they know that a fire is coming. They don't know whose house is going to catch on fire or when it will catch on fire, but it's going to happen, and so they're living ready. He says, so since you belong to the day, your children like, he says, what does it look like to live this way? As Christians who, who are the light, he says, be sober. Let us be sober. You know, at night, it's hard to recognize things. Can't see clearly when we're in the dark. You know, I remember a bunch of us 18-year-old guys, I was going to say boys, but, but that's not accurate, it's men. Um, so, <laughs> a bunch of us 18-year-old men, we were out on a camping trip and we had forgotten to take flashlights with us. We, it was a several-mile hike in the woods to get to the place we got there. Um, in the light, and then we made camp, and, but we had made plans to meet one of our party back at where the car was several miles back at a certain time to show them where the campsite was, but we forgot our flashlights, and this is before cell phones with flashlights existed, and so we had to somehow make our way several miles through the woods and in the darkness, and it was really hard to see, and we stumbled, and we tripped, and we banged into things, and your mind races, and you wonder about what's out there, and it's it's, it's a little unnerving. Like, is there going to be a bear, a bobcat, a cougar? Like, what's out in the woods? Uh, a wolf, whatever. Snakes. I, I don't know. Your mind just plays tricks on you. You begin to see things. We, we, we shouldn't have done that because we, we should have brought flashlights. We, we should have brought light with us. And, and as Christians, we're not meant to stumble around as in, in, and participate in the deeds of darkness. We're, because we're of the light, we're meant to do things in the light. We belong to the day. We belong to God who sees things for what they really are. And so he says, I want you to be awake to, to things for what they really are. Be awake to the fact that this world is passing away. This world will one day be judged. The, the people around you who are in darkness, they, they seem like they're saying, oh, there's peace, there's security. One day they're going to be judged. Be alert to that. Be awake to that. Let that inform and affect how you relate to them, but also let it inform how you live. Are you living ready? And then he tells us how to get ready. How to get ready in, in verse 8. He says, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. What a breastplate does, by the way, is a breastplate, it covers from about up here to, to about down here. It, it covers all of the the. the the parts could, that could easily hurt. It, it covers your guts, your heart. And, and so metaphorically, what he's talking about is, I want you to put on the breastplate of faith. I want you to protect the core of who you are, your motivations, your desires, what you feel. Your, your guts kind of symbolize the place of, of feeling. Your heart symbolizes the place of desire, the core of who you are. He says, you need to be alert and awake. How you do that? is by covering your desires, your motives, your feelings, protecting them, guarding them with faith. So how do we live ready for his return? We, we live ready by, by guarding our heart, our desires, by guarding our feelings, our emotions, by guarding what motivates us, the core of who we are, by, by, by speaking words of faith, Meditating on faith, dwelling on faith, dwelling on, on who we are in him. 
Now, why does he talk about that when he's already talked about people who, in contrast, say there's security and peace found in the world? Well, because we're not to put our faith in the security of the world. We're not to put our faith in the peace the world offers. We're to put our faith in the peace and the security that Christ offers. And that helps us say no to what the world offers. It's, it's brilliant here what he's doing, and it's subtle, but he says, you know, put on this breastplate of faith, because you know why? The world has faith in security and peace that it, it thinks are real, but I want you to have faith that you have real peace, real security. It, it keeps you from being tempted. You're, you're motivated by, it keeps you from being motivated by fear of man. It keeps you from being motivated by what the things the world are motivated by. And in that day, the, the church in, in Thessalonica, they would have been tempted to give in to the world's definition of peace and security. You see, there was, Caesar had established what was called Pax Romana. It was this, this period of peace. And so this city of Thessalonica, they would have prided themselves in the fact that they had peace and security in the Roman Empire. They had peace and security in their way of life. They had peace and security in their financial freedoms. They had peace and security as Roman citizens. And so they put a lot of faith and confidence in that. And so Christians come along and there's a contrast because Christians aren't living for this world. They're not living for the emperor. They're not living for the kingdoms of this world. And so because of that, the, the church would have experienced persecution. They would have experienced suffering. They would have experienced people saying, you know, you're crazy and you're threatening the empire, so we're going to threaten you. He says, I want you to, to guard your heart, your feelings, your emotions, what motivates you with faith. You might be rejected, but you have peace with God. I want you to have faith that you might be insecure in this world, financially, physically. You might get thrown in jail. You might have your house taken away. But have faith you have security in Christ. In, in my father's house, Jesus said there are many mansions. If it were not true, it wouldn't have told you this. And so we can have faith. We can also have peace. And so we can guard ourselves with faith that we have peace with God. Even though we might not have peace with the people around us, we might, we might contrast, hopefully we will contrast with those who are of the darkness. We will be a light. And when light encounters darkness, there's a contrast. And he says, but you need to have faith. Guard yourselves with faith that you have peace with God. Not the kind of peace that the world seeks. You know, it's easy to be at peace if your lifestyle doesn't ever contradict the world around you. It's easy, easy to be at peace, live at peace with people if you don't shine the light of Jesus in the darkness. It's easy to be at peace with the people around you if you go along with the status quo and agree with them and what they're living for. But it would have been an intimidating thing to stand up to idolatry and debauchery, to say no to living like the people around them. What would have tempted them to fear? And so what can they do? How can they be ready? Oh, they can guard their hearts, their feelings, their motives with that breastplate of faith. But he also wants them to guard their, their hearts, their motives, their feelings with the fact that Christ loves us. He says, I want you to put on the breastplate of faith and love. This isn't just saying, I'm going to put on love externally. No, this is a guarding thing. And what are we guarded by? We are guarded by the fact that Jesus loves us. Even when the world around us hates us. He's coming back and he loves us. He's coming back and he's not against us. He, he completely and perfectly accepts us in Christ. And that keeps us from being swayed when the world around us doesn't love us, when they reject us and they persecute us. 
Putting on God's love, it reminds us that, that we're his beloved children. And it gives us courage knowing that if God is for us, no one can be against us. Being satisfied in his love means that, that we don't look to other things for satisfaction. And it's meant to motivate us. This faith, this love is meant to protect us and motivate us and help us be ready. And then he says, put on this helmet, like a helmet. Put on salvation, our hope of salvation, like a helmet to protect your thoughts because you will have um, the condemnation of the devil attack you. You ever have that happen to you? Happened to me yesterday. I was, I was, I was rude. I was unkind. And the way I interacted with someone. And, then, and, and I felt bad all day. And then also I was upset. And, and, and I, I needed a helmet of the hope that I, I have salvation coming. And, and like we were saying about this morning, he's not going to judge us for our sins. That's crazy. He doesn't hold our sins against us. We have a hope in salvation. We also have a hope that, that one day... We'll be free from all the constraints of this world. We'll be free from temptation. We'll be free from sins. And Paul wants the believers to be ready, and then he doesn't just want them to, to be ready by putting on faith and hope and love. He wants them to be ready by encouraging each other. And so he says, Jesus is coming back, so be encouraged and encourage one another. Jesus is coming back, so be encouraged and encourage one another. And, and, and what he gives us to, to encourage one another with is really what we sang about this morning. He says, look in verse 9. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath. Be encouraged. God has not destined you for wrath if you have placed your faith in Jesus. Be encouraged. But, he says, you've been destined to obtain salvation. And here's the other good news we encourage each other with. Not through what we do, but through our Lord Jesus Christ. Be encouraged. You've been destined. It, the, the story has already been written. If you love Jesus, your name has already been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That is your destiny. It is something that will happen. It's already been written. He says, be encouraged by that and that we have salvation that doesn't come through you, that you don't have to secure, that you don't maintain, that you don't keep, but it's through our Lord Jesus Christ. Be encouraged because he died for you so that you might live. He already died for us so that whether you're awake or asleep. Now, now he's not talking about the metaphor. He's talking about another metaphor of whether you're awake, meaning you're still alive when he returns, or if you're asleep, meaning you're dead when he returns. It doesn't matter. He's died so that either way we might live with him. He's died so that either way we might live with him. You know, there's all kinds of fake news in the world around us. This is not fake news. This is great news. He's not destined us for wrath, but we're going to obtain salvation. Not only that, we're going to live with him. I was texting back and forth somebody this week. They were asking about are um, you know communicable attributes of God, and is, is 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 God's eternality communicable? And I'm like, well, yes, but no, but yes, because when we're joined to Christ, we now have eternal life in Him, with Him, forever going forward. No, in not eternity past, but yes, going forward. Now He gives us His own life. That's meant to encourage us. That's who we are. And, and these truths are not just meant to be niceties. They're meant to affect how we live on a daily basis and what we live for and, and how are we living ready? Are we living actively? Are we living anticipating that? Are we living aware of that? Does that affect our, our job choices? Does that affect our choices of what we watch, what we do, how we interact with people? It's meant to. And then it's also meant to give us 
encouragement and hope. And then, you know what I love here is that it says, do that with one another. Um, We are not meant to live alone. If you're not in Christian community and you're just visiting here, I would encourage you, um, if you're not going to join here, go somewhere else. But if you are going to be here, then be here, join here, be a part, go to a small group, because we need to be encouraged. He says, therefore, encourage one another and keep on doing that. But that's just encourage. He says, build each other up, help each other grow. We only grow as we're in community with each other. And we communicate truths about God's word and remind ourselves, hey, you know what? I know you're really discouraged right now with your sin, but you need to know that Christ already died for that. And that he's not going to count that against you because he already counted it against Christ. God's God's not going to count your sins against you. And here's the wonderful thing. You're going to be made new. You're going to be with him. And in your child of the light, yeah, you're tempted by darkness, but what you need to do is put on faith, put on love, and, and you can encourage each other, and you can help each other with how to do that, how to put on faith, how to put on love, how to put on this helmet of salvation, how to, to think right thoughts, how to take every thought captive and submit our thoughts to the Lordship of Christ. That's what we need to help each other with. The question is, does our faith in Jesus motivate us? Does the love of Jesus and the love of Father motivate you? Do you, are you in the darkness or are you in the light? Are you sleeping through life? Are you oblivious to the realities of this world? What's Paul wanting us to do? He says, I want you to live encouraged. Here's the main thing. I want you to live encouraged. I want you to encourage each other. I want you to live encouraged and encouraging about the day of the Lord. John Stott, he says, it's not just that Christ is coming. That fact can cause anxiety rather than assurance. No, it's the further truth that Christ who is coming to us is the very same Christ who died for us and rose again. Indeed, the essence of the good news is that Jesus died and rose in order to bring us into union with him and that when he comes, he will take us with him forever. Our coming king is none other than our crucified and risen savior. That's good news. We therefore have absolutely nothing to fear. On the contrary, we may be certain that nothing, neither death, nor bereavement, nor judgment, can separate us from him who died to bring us to himself. Therefore, comfort and encourage and upbuild one another with these words. When you see somebody tempted to live for the things of the world, encourage. When you're struggling, when somebody else is struggling, build each other up. Point each other to live for what matters. Point each other to faith and hope and love and salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would encourage each and every one here who knows you with the reality that we are not of the darkness. We belong to you. We have nothing to fear. And that, Lord, you would enable us to to put on faith and hope and love, that you would also give us encouragement with the truth of the fact that that you died so we might live. Lord, help us encourage each other. God, I pray for those who do not know you, that they would repent and believe in you so that they too may say that they become children of light. God, I pray that you would give joy to each and everyone here, the joy that that Philip talked about earlier today, Lord, the, the bliss of the glorious thought that my sin, not in part, but the whole has been placed on Christ. And now we have life forevermore. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Well,